Good morning. A little series on gardening. Spring's coming up. Why is that funny? I like to garden. Hey, welcome to Puerto Rico Church, Arlington. Uh, my name's Jason. It's my privilege here to open up the Word of God with you. Um, yeah, we're starting a new series today. And the avenue at which we will look at God's Word today is your story. I know that sounds suspicious, especially for Christians, because we're afraid to talk about our story, Um, but you shouldn't be. So we're going to jump into that. Uh, And just as Ian was saying, man, we want you to feel welcome. I don't care if you're checking us out or if you've been going here for a long time. This is a community or a family of believers. We are here growing together like anything else. If you are seeking God, if you want to know who God is... And what you mean to him, you're going to find that out in a community, just like you learn everything else. So we encourage you to press in today as we open up his word and just have the wild speculation that maybe God has something to say to you. I want you to approach um, his word that way today. Uh, We're part of a network called the Acts 29 Network. Uh, We always have been a part of that network. Uh, It's a global, diverse family of church-planting churches. We believe that the gospel is so good that we want to see it multiplied. And one of the cool things that they do is they train us. So they resource pastors in the local area and nationally. I had a lunch uh, this week where we got to go over and listen to a couple of cool pastors, Acts 29 dudes I've never seen before. Uh, One was Rich Rivera from the Bronx. Man, and he is from the Bronx. It's the Bronx, definite article. Uh, and he's just a great guy. He really helped us. Uh, and also Derek Parks from Wilmington, Delaware. And just listening to those brothers was really encouraging. Um, so I just want to take a brief moment and tell you um, a story of a church planter who's really shaped my life. Um, it wasn't those two. Um, if, in fact, if I mentioned his name, you would instantly probably know who this person is because they've written somewhere in the avenue of maybe 13 bestsellers. Um, This person has had chronic health issues since the very beginning. Um, I don't know how they did it. Um, Planted a lot of churches. But many of the churches uh, this this planter has planted have ended up with major issues. Uh, Many of them were overrun by false teachers. Uh, Lost his financial support. That's always fun. Not only that, lost his reputation. Lost his name. Um, his public ministry became a sham. Um, and if that wasn't enough, his closest friends abandoned him. Um, and to wrap it all up, he gets falsely implicated in a scandal, charged, brought up on charges, and imprisoned, incarcerated. So here's why his story inspires me. One word sums it up. Loss. Continual, ongoing loss. And in the middle of this loss, from prison, mind you, this person writes a book with the audacity to write a book about joy and about unity in great diversity and about gratitude and about joy and about joy and about joy. Gospel contentment. It almost sounds prideful, to be honest with you. This person's name is Saul. This is his given name. You've probably 
known him as the Apostle Paul. And the book is Philippians. That's where we're going. What I love about the book of Philippians was that Paul uses his story and he uses the story of those that are traveling with him and the story of those in the Philippian church to exalt and magnify who Jesus is. And make no mistake about it, he was more accomplished than you are and he ended up losing everything. And he's okay with that. And he understood that his story was just one movement or one stanza in God's grand story, and that was everything for him. So what's a story? Let's define it for just a little bit. Everybody has one. We don't sit around talking about a story usually, but it involves a place where you grew up, a people, experiences, hopes, and dreams, desires. Everybody has a story. And here's what your story is trying to answer. Why does my life matter? Why does it matter? You're trying to answer that question over and over and over. And how you understand your story answers that question. And you place yourself on a storyline. You, Regardless of the ups and downs of your life, you will see some destination. This is where I'm going. This is how things are going to end for me. And you would like to think that is your story. However, you are constantly being challenged and the story is being overturned all the time examples if you basically see your story as being a mom then if your kids turn out badly your story was a bad story i just throw that out there but having raised some kids um you don't really get to finish their story so if you're trying to evaluate your worth based on if your kids turned out the way you wanted them to you're in trouble they have their own stories to live out you can't put your story on this. That's not fair. What if you want to be a military officer and you never made it? What if you want to be in the boardroom and you never made a partner? See, we have so many things that seek to disrupt our story. And so what do we do? We run backwards to the people and the places and the times when our life made sense. I think that's why alumni associations are so popular. Just throwing that out there. Life kind of made sense back then, so I'm going to go back there every weekend. Ouch. I just say that because I went to a crummy school. Just kidding. Um, listen, your story, if you're in Christ, is doing something. It's growing out of grace, and it's going to be wrapped in or growing into unshakable peace. This is right out of the Apostle Paul's lips. This is God wants you to know this. He wants you to know that. I want you to know that. Now, this is what's great. We just got out of Mark. And so you have a fresh idea of the story of Jesus. You know what his life is about. You know who he is. You know how his life was lived, how it ended. You understand his resurrection is complete and total vindication, even though his story was rejected by everyone. God vindicates his story. And if you will be audacious enough to wrap your story or hide your story in him, regardless of how your life begins or ends, you will be totally vindicated at the return of the living Lord. And that is what the Paul, Apostle Paul was living on. So we're going to look at that. In Christ, your story grows out of this gift of grace and into the unshakable peace that God wants you to have. So we're going to just start very simply today, just with the opening of the letter, because a lot of stuff is in the beginning of the letter. It's very simple. We'll start there. But as you're reading it today, as you're walking through this, 
I want you to ask yourself this question and strive to answer it. What's your story? What is your story? Maybe here's a better question. Who gets to finish your story? Who's writing your story? Who is that? What's your story? Where are you going? So we're going to be in Philippians uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It's very simple. We'll put it up on the screen. You've probably heard these types of things before. It's just the opening of a letter. It's written in the form that most ancient letters were written in the Roman Empire in the first century. Um, it should sound familiar if you've read the Bible or heard it before. So let's go right there. Here we go. The opening of Philippians. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. I'm already worried. Because I don't think I understand my story um, as I listen to my own words. Lord, we're grasping. We are grasping for meaning. We are desperately grasping to fix our stories. And you're calling us to surrender. Lord, would you open up your word today that we might see your beauty, that we might behold. Would you give us the gift of your spirit as we open up your word, Lord, that it might go deep into our hearts and read us. So we give you this time and we thank you. It's in the matchless name of Jesus we pray this. Amen. So you're growing a story and your story is growing out of, if you're in Christ, grace. And that story is growing into unshakable peace. That's not happening. There's a problem. And you'll be trying to make a name for yourself or grasp or write or finish a story some other way. So let's walk through this together and we'll finish today with these opening words and understand what Paul means because the opening of a letter speaks. But we're going to just do this a little differently the way that we normally open up books. I'm not going to talk about a lot of, of scripture here in the very first part of Philippians. What I want you to know is how we got there. There's an excellent backstory. So what we'll do first is we'll go into the backstory. How is Philippians here and how is Paul writing them a letter? What's it all about? So once we get done with the backstory, we're going to go into the big picture. What is the big picture of Philippians? What should you be thinking about when it comes to your story and who God is in that story? And then we'll drop right back in to verse one in the beginning, um, what the apostle Paul wants us to see there, what Jesus wants us to see, what God is pushing to us today, how he's presenting himself to us through his word. Um, a plug here for a book called Exalting Jesus in Philippians uh, by Acts 29 pastor Tony Marita and also Francis Chan did a great job, very informative, very helpful for me as I studied for this series, so I recommend it to you. So the backstory: if our story is growing out of grace and into unshakable peace, we need more information. So let's walk through this together. What, what is the backstory of Philippians? Well, it's the first church that Paul planted in Europe, planted about 50 AD, and it was a mistake. Uh, and coincidentally, the story comes to us out of Acts chapter 16. And we were there, we ended there when we finished Acts way back in 2015. So maybe you don't remember it. I hardly do. 
but let's understand what happened. First of all, this was the second time Paul has made his way out of Jerusalem or out of Antioch up into Asia to plant churches. So this is a second trip, and basically he and Silas, one of his compatriots, and probably Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and also Acts, are heading out, and the idea is let's encourage and build up the churches where we have planted. But then he meets restriction, right? He meets some serious restriction along the way. Now, note this. Anytime you are restricted, anytime something in your life gets cut off from you, anytime a goal gets ripped out of your hands and squashed in front of your face, uh, up to being put in jail, anytime you suffer restriction, your assumption is that my story is on hold. It's being derailed. This isn't working for me. There's a huge problem. In fact, I would say the Apostle Paul would have said the same thing. However, the two restrictions that he got, God used those in a big way. They wanted to go. We have a map up here? We do. Watch this. This is amazing. Good. So they wanted to go. This is Asia Minor. This is Turkey. They wanted to go north, northwest into Phrygia and Galatia and up into there. What happened was the Holy Spirit checked them and wouldn't let them go. They tried again, and later, Paul has a dream. And he dreams that there's a dude in Macedonia saying, over this way. I wish God would speak to me that way. It would be so much easier. Just make it really simple. So he gets drawn over into Philippi, where the big red arrow is. So what you need to see here is that restriction is not your enemy. When you get put on hold, when you're forced to wait on the Lord. Now, we just sang that. This is not your story ending. God is never limited by our restrictions or the restriction he's placed on us or circumstances that we hit. So God moves Paul and his whole troop into Philippi. Across the Aegean Sea, they go. So let's talk about some of the people he meets there. The first person is Lydia. Have you ever heard about her? We read about her in Acts. I'm just going to tell you right now, she's a powerhouse. Don't sit her up as somebody you want to be like because you'll never make it. She's in the chips. She's wealthy. Uh, she's a business person. She has servants. She has a troop. When Paul and his compatriots get into Philippi, there's not even a synagogue there. That's normally where Paul would go to teach about the risen Christ. So he ends up finding out that there's some people that pray down by the river. And he goes down. There's a group of women there. And he talks to Lydia and shares the gospel with her. And Acts tells us that the Lord opened up her heart and she saw and she believed and was baptized. Later, Paul is and, and Silas are, are, are in the city teaching and preaching. And there's a young woman who's being used by some men to profit. She's demon possessed and they're using her as a fortune teller for profit. Paul gets so annoyed by this, he casts out demons from her. We're getting a profile of the Philippian church. This causes trouble in the city. They get thrown in jail. Restriction doesn't stop God's work in your life or through your life. One of the jailers comes to Christ when God basically just lets Paul and Silas out. And he fears for him a lot his life because he knows that means death for him because he's let prisoners out. Paul stops him, 
He says, what should I do to be saved? Believe, be baptized, your whole household will be saved. He does it. This, this is a profile of the Philippian church of what God was doing. Also, we see Judea and Syntyche, two other women that are powerhouses in the Philippian church, show up later in the letter. Listen, life is stranger than fiction. This is not a church that's going to survive. I'm just going to tell you that. Right? They teach us how to build churches. You don't do it this way. Or maybe you should. God is working his plan, and he's doing it by breaking the plans of Paul. Can you see that? You know what happens when my plans are break? I pout, and I go hide in the corner and, you know, just feel sorry for myself. God is working through those who choose to surrender their stories to him and walk in faith. Let's listen to the place for a minute. Philippi. It's a Roman colony full of retired soldiers. This is... Well, the history of Philippi is that it was wrestled away. Rome got its hands on it, and it became basically a little Rome. Being in Philippi would remind you a lot of being in Rome. Well, so what? These are Roman citizens. They had the best the empire had to offer. These are retired generals and soldiers. This was a very nationalistic place. Um, Roman law was enacted there. These were citizens. Why do I tell you this? Because this is with their peace. They, they worked for Rome. They were protected by Rome. Their paycheck came from Rome. There was conflict in the Philippian church. One of the reasons why is because Paul was preaching the resurrected king. Listen, friend, anytime your peacemaker is risked, you're going to fight. Anytime the thing that brings you peace, probably not the Roman Empire, for you it's probably comfort and autonomy or the bottom of a bottle or something. Anytime your peacemaker is put at risk, you're going to fight. Because Paul was preaching the, the crucified, exalted, risen king, this came in conflict with worshiping Caesar and hanging on to national pride. Listen, here's how this works here. When you preach self-denial from a pulpit, you confuse people. It causes great conflict because we worship self. Let's let's just be honest for a minute. If you're going to tell me that somebody is going to write my story, I, I just have a problem with that. I think it's unnecessary. I think you're being arrogant. I am arrogant. I'm just going to tell you that. But this is God's word. Jesus is never going to be your advisor. You worship him, right? We we worship him. So this causes a problem. The Philippian church is experiencing intense conflict, both internal with some false teaching and external. They're calling people to repent and to serve Jesus alone. And you know, how does this work out? When you experience intense pressure for your faith, and I'm just going to say this, if you've never intent, if you've never lost anything because you serve Jesus, let's reintroduce ourselves to the gospel here because you lose everything. If you've never suffered some intense, not even intense, maybe you lost a friend, maybe you lost some money, uh, maybe you lost some reputation, maybe you lost some time. If you've never lost 
for serving Jesus, I think you're missing out on just the opportunity for joy in your life. All right. But they were tempted to do this, abandon the struggle. Like, it ain't worth it. Isn't it great that God puts stories in his word for you to know that his people were on the verge of leaving him? We get there. They were ready to abandon the struggle. So what do they do? They send this guy named Epaphroditus to Paul, who's in prison, probably in Rome. And they send him with a financial gift. Can I tell you about this church in Philippi? They are generous people. They're wildly diverse, and they are a generous church. And Paul loves this church. Like, you're never going to find anything like it in the New Testament. He loves these people. It was not a place he went to plant but God planted them in his heart. They were generous. In fact, when he rolled out of Philippi over the Thessalonica, over to the west, and, and had all kinds of intense heat, they sent money and all kinds of stuff. They were always supporting his ministry. So they send a financial gift with this guy, Epaphroditus, up to Rome, probably. And they probably want Timothy to come back because they love Timothy too, and he would help them square things away. And so what Paul does is he sends this letter back. God inspires him to write, Philippians, and it's a love letter, and it's a thank you letter. And he wants them to know, friends, listen, in Christ, um, you're, you're going to have a lot of things compete for your attention, but your story must grow out of the gift of grace that you have in Christ Jesus. And if you're doing that, you will grow into a peace that cannot be shaken. It cannot be removed from your hands. So this is the beginning of Philippians. This is... The backstory, how we got there. Um, big picture, what is Philippians about? What should you expect to have challenged in your story, encouraged in your story, brought out in your story as we walk through Philippians together, right? What should it look like for your life to grow out of the gift of grace and into unshakable peace? What should that look like? Well, first is this. So big picture. You will see this type of terminology. Rejoice in the progress of the gospel. So we have issues with this as a Christian because we realize that we're not there yet. We haven't attained what God desires for our life. And, and things, my story's getting derailed anyway. I don't understand what God's doing. and I don't even want to understand what I'm doing. So we will punch out. We will be tempted like the Philippian church, even without conflict, to back away from what God's calling us to do. But we are called in Philippians to rejoice in the progress of the gospel in our lives, to dwell in gratitude. Yes, yearn and long and press on. But can you just be happy for a minute that God is crazy about you and has proved that and demonstrated that? And Jesus has given you an imitation to follow. And if you're going to imitate Jesus, which Paul calls us to do in Philippians, and even imitate him as he imitates Jesus, you're going to have to get the strength and power from Jesus, which he willingly gives to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. He indwells you personally and among his people. So we are called to rejoice in the progress of the gospel. Here's a, here's a verse that you will hear, not today, but in a couple weeks. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. In other words, oh yeah, I had plans. I, he, I'm sure that Paul was very type A and had a five or ten year life plan. And God just swept him out of Asia to a place he didn't know. 
No, no, go over here. But it's, I don't want to. Okay, go over there anyway. I will work through you. What has happened to me, even his incarceration. Could you, listen, he's in jail. Can we talk about restrictions for a minute? Life is over. That is the lack of freedom. And God, by the power of the Spirit, inspires Paul to write this, and here we're reading it today. Advance the gospel. Um, can I just ask you a question? How does God's kingdom come on earth? Is it through awesome sermons? You guys are like, ah, well, we wouldn't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> give us a shot to know that. Is it through that? Is it through major outreach events? Is it through mercy? Well, it can be through a lot of those things, but can I just tell you for a minute? This is how the kingdom comes. Through your daily decisions to trust Jesus, minute by minute, moment by moment. Pull away from what's killing you and hold on to life. That's it. That's how the kingdom comes. You know, people come to Christ by watching you fail and seeing that the gospel's big enough for you. They get perplexed, like, hey, I thought Christians were good people. Like, no, we're not. Actually, the Bible says we're the worst. Want to come? Kingdom comes bit by bit as you choose to let your story be run by God. And advancing the gospel will cost you, but it's worth every cent. Um, so, big picture, rejoice in the progress of the gospel in your life. Know that God is advancing his work in you and through you, if you'll trust him, but not if you won't. Um, secondly, experiencing loss is going to teach you something. And, it, and this is not a life lesson. Well, not just a life lesson. When you experience loss for a Christian, it's going to teach you how to walk in the story of Jesus. This is what Paul was doing all the time. Well, that sounds really philosophical. Okay, you're going to understand the power of the resurrection. When you lose and you lose big, you're going to have one choice, to press in and experience the power of the resurrection or not. So when you experience loss, and we're going to see it here in Philippians, God is opening a door for you to experience the power of the resurrection in a way you've never experienced it before. What do you mean, Pastor? I don't know. What if you go home and you find out that you have cancer? Your life's going to be different. Your life might be very short. How you walk in faith is going to look different than how you did last week when you didn't know you had it. You're going to have to trust Jesus for his power and rest in God in a new way, or you're not. But if you do, you're going to know something of the power of the resurrection that you didn't understand previously. When you have to reconcile the friend that's just giving you nausea because you're so anxious about it. When you choose to trust in Jesus and press into that friendship and reconcile and humble yourself, but it's not going to work. This person's going to, would you quit trying to finish the story and just obey? Like God's powerful. He can do this. Trust him. So when you experience loss, you're going to understand how to walk in the story of Jesus, how to trust, how to understand that God will meet your every need. Um, big verse in Philippians. In fact, I'm kind of calling Philippians the, the refrigerator verse 
book because like it's got so many life verses in right the work that he began um, for me to live as christ all these verses that you could just put on a coffee cup because they're so good paul doesn't usually write like that um but here's one of the verses that you'll hear for me to live is christ and to die is gain this is this is what paul's doing he's explaining what it means that god is advancing the gospel even though his life is over okay so let's bring this down um let's say that you have a month of vacation coming up all expenses paid i don't know how this works out for you but just go with me for a minute experiment if you have a month of vacation going to the place that you want to go to with the people that you want to go with and you've been working really hard and you're ready for it now it's the week before your vacation and you have a grouchy boss and he comes up and say, yeah, I'm sorry, like, you got to get this project done before you leave because this, the company is really depending on it. Like, I'm sorry, I know you're prepping for vacation, but can you just, can you stay late like this week, maybe put in 10, 12 hours, maybe even more, but like you and your team have to get this done. You're probably going to be more generous with your time because of your vacation coming up. You're like, yeah, I can do that. I got a month vacation coming up. Don't call me. Like, I ain't going to pick up. But yeah, I can put the time in. How you spend your resources now changes when you know what you have guaranteed in the future. If you have a tax refund coming, a large one, how you spend now changes. I'm telling you, for most of us, 98% of us. If you know that you are risen in Christ now, that you are positioned with Christ now before God the Father, that your sin is wiped clean now, that your life matters now, not after you achieve something. How you spend your life now will be very different. You'll stop trying to make a story and trying to make a name for yourself and start trying to live in the story that God has for you. You will. You will spend your resources different. See, Paul knows his story is absolutely untouchable. I don't know how he has this kind of faith. He saw the risen Lord, but he worked it out over years. He knows his story is untouchable. And he knows I belong here. He's like, honestly, I'd rather die because that's benefit for me. Remember, he's got chronic health issues. But he says, you know what he's going to tell them? It's better for you that I stay because I may be some benefit to you. Maybe God will make me a benefit to you, Philippian church. In fact, I'm convinced of it. So he spends his life like somebody who's got everything. Right? God desires that for us. And joy. Um, Philippians talks about joy to the level it's irritating. I wrestle with this. Because he commands... Paul commands joy, and he doesn't do it from a place of, you know, like, hey, you should just be joyful. He's in jail. He's lost much more than most of us will, and he's saying rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is weird for Christians because we know this is in the Bible, so a lot of times we try to pretend that we're joyful by trying to be happy, and it doesn't work. It's this overly saccharine and, oh, everything's okay. And I get it, right? We're trying to be positive. And that's a good thing. But let's, let's 
kind of separate happiness from joy for a minute. So happiness maybe is this. It's situational. Hey, if my team wins, I'm happy and I'm not going to be ashamed about it. If I get some unexpected money, I'm going to be happy. It's okay. Like if I'm have a good relationship with my spouse, that's going to, that's going to lift me. It's going to produce some happiness in my life. Happiness is a good thing. You should want to be happy. If you don't want to be happy, there's something wrong with you. Not joking. So happiness is good. Now, when the, when that gets stripped from you, when circumstances and situations in your life are such that there's no real reason for happiness, like the apostle Paul here, now what? Well, this is where joy comes in. See, joy is this, this, this contentment, this settled contentment that you have God because God has you. That your future is never in jeopardy. That your present is never in jeopardy. That your life absolutely matters because he loves you. And he's proven to that to you over and over and over again. See, a lot of times joy kind of becomes clear when this, this fog of happiness kind of blows away. And you realize it's just too hard to stay happy all the time. And honestly, joy is probably not going to be yours until you stop making every decision based on your comfort. Paul puts it in here. He uses Jesus as the example, but then he teaches the Philippian church. If you're living for your own happiness and comfort, you'll be miserable. Right? You have got to anchor your joy in what God has done, not what you're doing. Do not make your day-to-day decisions on what makes you most comfortable, period. Oh, yeah, I want to be comfortable, too. Right? Don't think your sacrifice is going to win the day. That's not what he's saying. But in Christ, your story is growing. Are you going to let it grow out of the gift of grace? Are you going to let it grow into unshakable peace? All right, let's look at the beginning. How does Paul start this letter? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. It actually says bond slaves of Christ Jesus. Now, this is weird because letters are pretty basic. Author, audience, and greeting. Paul flips that a little bit. Authors, audience, the Philippian church, and then a blessing. He kind of sums up the content of the letter. So let's look at the first, the author. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Why is this weird for Paul? Because he doesn't drop the apostle. A lot of times he drops an apostle according to Christ Jesus. He gives no title, even though he is an apostle. An apostle is someone that has then seen the risen Lord, had been commissioned by Jesus to establish the church. He doesn't drop that. He's fronting with humility. Hey, it's Paul and Timothy. You saw us both. We are slaves. We are servants. We are bond servants in Christ Jesus. This is who we are. Two... All the saints in Christ Jesus, again, in Christ Jesus, of Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So check this out. First, look at the priority. You are first saints in Christ Jesus. The Philippian church, if they're going to understand joy, if they're going to understand 
their story, it's going to start here. They are in Christ Jesus before they are in Philippi, before they're in Greece. That's who they are. But they still live there. And then he wraps it up with overseers and deacons. What's that? Well, an overseer is an elder or a bishop. Paul uses those terms interchangeably. So he addresses the leaders of the church. Nobody really knows why. I think it's very practical. Um, Some say, well, a lot of people are grumbling against the leaders in the church, so Paul's kind of like lifting them up. Maybe. A little speculation there. Honestly, I think you got to just look at the, the intro as a whole. Paul lowers himself as a servant and even raises up the leaders of the, legal, the, leaders of the local church. He's, he's titling them and raising them up. And the aim. It's not a simple greeting. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the whole letter. This is Paul's life. This is his handle. This is it for him. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. In this greeting, Jesus, three times. Grace. Paul, better than anybody, knew that his story was not dependent on his accomplishments, on his achievements, on his acquisitions. He'll later say, hey, if we're going to start putting out resumes, bring it out. Here's mine. Oh, yours isn't as good as mine. But he's not saying that to boast. He's saying, I hold his rubbish compared to who I am in Christ. So grace, you're standing before God. This is your story. This is where your story starts. It's not dependent on what you've accomplished, what you look like, your actions, who you know. It's dependent on the resurrection. It's dependent on this. You are known by the living God. Not in a general way, in a very specific way. This is how grace works. Grace pulls you from death. Like Lydia, God opens your eyes. He shows you the beauty of himself in the face of Jesus Christ, and you respond with faith. That's grace. This is where Paul lived. He was killing the church. You realize that, right? Acts chapter 8. He oversaw the persecution of Stephen. He was a deacon. Now he's greeting deacons. If anybody you should trust in the New Testament church, it wouldn't be Paul. He was a killer. You know that people will use the word of God to kill. We've seen it this week. How big is grace? Well, I don't know, but it's big enough to take a killer and turn him into an apostle. And this produces a peace you can't get any other way. So what is peace? A lot of times we locate it that as a feeling, and that's good, but it's more than that, especially in the Old Testament context. Peace is shalom in the presence of God. Standing in the presence of God without conflict the table. Can you do that? Yes, you can. In Christ Jesus, you can do that. In fact, you're called to do that. So peace is more than just, oh, I feel good in myself. No, here's what I feel. I'm standing before God in Christ. 
I'm, he's pulling me in. He wants me. There's no conflict here. That is the kind of peace that God wants for you. I'm just going to tell you, there's part of your story that doesn't make sense and it's bothering you. I don't know how to fix that for you. You need to surrender that. My story does not make sense. I was not trained for this pulpit. This is not my career. I had a career. God called me out of it and brought me into ministry. And man, it was hard. It's still hard. And it, life just doesn't make sense a lot of times. And if you find yourself in that place, God is putting the call to you to surrender your story to him that he might finish it. And this is a good time for our church to be going through this. Let me tell you why. Your stories are starting to fall apart because I know you and I love you. I know you guys. Your ships are starting to take on water and you're not sure what to do about it. Community is really good here, but it's going to become your enemy because a lot of times our community is based on our preferences and who we like and people that think like us. And as life is going on, y'all are changing and you have different needs and you have different preferences and it puts stress on our community. You can see it already. But together, we are the ongoing vivid evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the story we live out together to make him known. And I I will tell you this. God is in the business of building something beautiful and lasting and eternal if you will let him finish your story. If you will let the death, death grip off of your life and off of your future and respond in faith. Stop trying to fix it. God will even help you with that, but surrender your story. Remember, Jesus was rejected by everyone. His story was cast away. And the resurrection is absolute vindication that God the Son, his work, his life was received by God as authentic and complete and good and for you. This is God's love offering for you. Surrender to it. This is your story. This is what God's calling us to together. Let your story grow out of this gift of grace. God meets the standard, right, into unshakable peace. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Um, I thank you for the great diversity of your word. I thank you that you can meet anyone, anywhere, at any time, in any place through your word. I thank you that you invest your word with yourself, that it is living and that it is active. And I pray right now that as a church, we would surrender ourselves and our stories and our hopes and our dreams and couch them that we might know that we are in the grand story of God. As we understand life, we will understand the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and how we fit and how we were held in there and how his life is our life. Lord, could you make that more real to us? We ask your blessing on this. In the name of Jesus, amen.